It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show, JT. I am in the world headquarters. Yes, this is the world headquarters of the Raiders, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. I am thrilled to be here for obvious reasons, as hour number two is brought to you by Salmon Ash, SalmonAshLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Our team, Salmon Ash in your corner, because you deserve what's right, and that's full compensation for your injuries. So give them a call, 702-820-1234. They're also big proponents of First Friday. I do a national show, and this is my local show. But the local show, you can hear on the Raiders app all over the world. A little local radio here. I get to do a traffic update. The southbound lanes of U.S. 95 have reopened to traffic following a crash involving a fuel tanker early this morning. This city was in lockdown, shutdown on the I-95, and it finally opened up. What a mess, thanks to all the people who had to work to get that open and get the lanes going again. Saw that early when I got up this morning. One other thing I wanted to mention, I got friends deeply involved in the fires. I have a fireman up there who's working, keeping me in touch with the fires in South Lake Tahoe, serious. I got a couple of friends who have lived up there and live up there and are, have been evacuated. So we're thinking of everyone in South Lake Tahoe. Big Raider country up there as they're displaced and those fires have never been worse. I've been to Tahoe 20, 30 times in my life. I can't imagine how close the fires are getting to downtown, the casino corridor, the beaches. It's insane to see some of the aerial footage there that I saw a little while earlier. So we're thinking about everyone there. Joe Lisi, our college football insider at the bottom of the hour with a monster week one schedule coming up. And remember, everybody in this building played college football. They all played college football. Now they're Raiders. We care about college football, and we'll do that in about 30 minutes. But a little while ago, Mike Mayock met the media. Here's the GM of the Silver and Black. What can I help you with? Uh, I know that 53-man rosters, it's an evolving thing, um, including this one, I'm sure. But what are your general thoughts on the roster that you guys have put together? Uh, so I've been here three years now, and it's kind of been fun for me to watch the evolution of both the draft picks and, and the college free, age, free agents and you know what you're trying to do in the, uh, with free agency. Um, I think from a draft pick perspective, it's kind of been fun again for year three for me to kind of look back at 19 and see who's become leaders on this team you know and see some of the goals guys like even on the third day of the 2019 draft guys like max crosby um foster moreau hunter renfro all three of them are leaders now uh, along with clee along with uh josh um john's been really good trayvon's had his most so that that class is is kind of growing up and for me that's fun see them year three they're they're growing into men now um, last year's group t- took a little bit of a step up, I think, this year in camp with, uh, you know, two first-round picks. Uh, Ruggs came in, uh, a little bit different guy. Um, you can feel his speed more than last year. Um, come on in. How are you, sir? Um, Arnett 
I've liked the way he's approached this camp, and I think Casey Hayward's been a really steadying influence on him. Uh, Brian Edwards, everybody's excited about. John Simpson's playing his tail off. And I think one of the cool stories of this camp is Amik. Amik looks like the guy we saw back two years ago in college, both inside and outside. Um, and then this year's group, um, Jimmy Morrissey goes to practice squad, but everybody else is on the team. And there's been some pretty good stories there from top to bottom. So um, that's a long way to say that uh, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's kind of cool to see some of these guys uh, grow up. Uh, it was fun watching this year's draft picks. I think they kind of are who we hoped they would be, but we're still in the preseason, so we'll have to see. Sure. Uh, a few veteran cuts kind of stood out yesterday. Derek Carrier, John Brown, and uh, Carl Joseph is mm-hmm. back in. Uh, what kind of went into overall thinking with, with those three guys particularly? Yeah. Um, keep in mind that the roster is fluid, okay, especially – you know, the first 48 hours after this, and I can attest to that as I wasn't a very good player, and they often used me as that proxy to get a guy through to IR, you know. So uh, keep in mind that it's fluid, uh, number one. Uh, with those, uh, with Carl, my heart goes out to him. He's a good football player, and he's a really good person. Um, I've had the opportunity to be with him twice now in 19 and then again this year. Um, and look, number one, you got to stay healthy. He was playing really well, and he played well, but he missed two games. Uh, you got to stay healthy. And number two, we've got some young guys that are pushing hard. Uh, this Teamer kid came in, and I didn't even know much about Teamer. That, that was kind of Gus and his guys saying, Mike, can we get him in here? He can play free. He can play strong. He can even play nickel. And he'd be a nice piece for us to look at this summer. And to my surprise, he's better than that. Um, and he earned a roster spot. Make no mistake about it. It wasn't because of he knew the system. He earned a spot. Uh, and then you've got Gillespie, the fourth-round kid who, you know, he got hurt early, came back. He's competing now. We think he's going to be a really good special teams player And as he learns how to play safety. So for Carl, that he had to be out there competing every day. Um, I think for John, it's, it's a little bit similar. I mean, John is, is, is a speed guy. He's quick. He's fast. Um, he's got to be out there every day competing. And, um, again, I feel badly for him also because I just – I think what happens in camp is that those first three guys, the young wideouts, they need as many, camp, many reps as they can get. It's not like you've got three veterans who are just kind of taking a certain number of reps per period. I mean, those guys need reps, and we force-fed them reps with Derek. So those three guys are getting force-fed into the first-team huddle so that we get that rapport going, right? Um, And then you've got John who's fighting for reps, and here comes Zay Jones. You know, and Zay Jones might be in better shape than anybody on our football team. And and then you've got Willie Sneed, who when when you use the term savvy veteran, you know, that's who you're talking about. He can play all three positions. Um, If, God forbid, if anything happened to Hunter, he could step in and run that slot position all day long. Um, so those five guys got the majority of snaps and, and so you got to kind of knock the door down to get your snaps. And, and when you're not available every day, that's difficult. Um, Derek has been one of uh, carrier has been one of our best special teams players and, uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. Nate Hobbs has been a guy that's got a lot of attention. This, this training camp, uh, fifth round pick, what did you guys go? What was the mindset going into getting him and, and how happy have you been with him? I'll tell you a cool story. And this is kind of what I think scouting's all about. Um, and in our building where the coaches are so involved, it's even a better story. Um, so uh, I got a call from one of our cross-check scouts 
after the Illinois Pro Day. And he said, Mike, do me a favor and put your eyes on Nate Hobbs. He just ran 4.45. He jumped 41 inches. He tested better than we thought he was going to test. And I'm not sure if we got the right grade on him. We had a good, we had a good, don't get me wrong, we had a pretty solid grade on him. But we, I, I want to make sure he's not getting lost in the cornerback shuffle. So I got off the phone and literally put his tape on right there. And I was like, man, he, he competes, he's tackle, he tackles, he's tough. He's a three-year starter in the Big Ten. He was an outside corner almost predominantly. And he played special teams. I mean, this was a hard-nosed, tough guy. And he just ran 4.45 and jumped 41 inches. So I literally got out of my chair. I spent about two hours watching him, got out of my chair, sprinted downstairs to the second floor, grabbed Ron Miles, defensive back coach. And again, every building's different. Trust me, I spent 18 years in NFL Network being in all all the buildings, and everybody does their jobs differently. Uh, We're a coach-driven building with our scouts. So I run downstairs, say, Milo, get your eye on this guy, please, okay, and tell me what you think today. He comes running back up in about an hour and a half. We got something. He said, I think, you know, this, this kid will compete at nickel. And he was an outside guy. And the reason we thought he could compete at nickel was how tough he was, okay? His quickness and his toughness. He, he rarely missed tackles. A very aggressive kid. So when you talk about moving outside to inside, that's what you're looking for. A, you got to be a quick processor, which was the – we can't tell whether he was or not at, as an outside corner. But B, you better be quick and you better be tough. And he was, he was those things. So all of a sudden – now we kind of push him up the board a little bit more. The coaches like him. The scouts like him. Uh, we got him on a Zoom call, and he knocked it out of the park. And what our coaches do is they challenge him pretty hard mentally. They give him some of our Raider verbiage, and they push it out and challenge it back. He got all the concept, concepts immediately. I was on the Zoom call. I saw it. It wasn't like I, I heard about it. I, I was on the call. He got all the concepts. The coaches drilled him. He got an A-plus on that drill, and we're sitting back there going, okay, what's wrong with this picture? Three-year starter in the Big Ten, tough, competitive. Every one of our scouting grades on him with, with competes and toughness was at a high end. So I, I think the cool part for me is seeing it come together. It started with the trigger from the cross-checker to tell me to get my eye, my eye on him. It went from there down to Milo. It, then it went to the Zoom call, and then it was the whole group getting together saying, we got to get this guy. You know, where is he probably going to go league value, and at what point do we have to pull the trigger? I'm sorry if that was too long. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Last year, the defensive line was the Achilles heel of this team. How happy are you with the fact, I mean, it's completely new? Um, I, I feel like the answer to that question is a few weeks away, and, and I'm just being honest with you. And, and you know, I, I played for Bill Parcells, and he always said potential means you ain't done a damn thing yet. And, and I'm a big believer in that. And it doesn't mean that these guys that are with us haven't done it individually in the league. We just haven't done it collectively as a Raiders defense yet. So, um, you know, Baltimore presents a challenge that's unique in this league, and we better be ready to play. That's, that's all I know. Mike, uh, look at linebacker with some injuries. Yeah. And then also uh, a backup tackle. Uh, how do you feel about those two positions, and, and is that something that you kind of keep an eye on for both of those spots? Yeah, I think you always do. Uh, but linebacker, you know, he, you mentioned you know the D line. We feel a little bit better. Uh, some of the young guys on the back end have played well, and then you get you get punched in the gut a little bit with some injuries at, at linebacker. Uh, obviously, we feel pretty good about the trade we made with Carolina last week. Uh, not only, you know, sometimes coaches, I think, put a lot of emphasis on knowing a system, 
right? But not only does this kid know their system, he's been a good football player. So we, we feel pretty good about bringing Denzel Perryman in and adding him to the group. Um, but when you lose Nick Morrow, when you lose Javen White, are we still open for business potentially? Yeah, we, we are. Uh, the other position was what? Three tackles. Yeah, I mean, we have three tackles. Uh, Denzel has played guard tackle. Um, you know, we only carried eight. I would anticipate we would get to nine probably at some point in the near future. Um, I'd feel more comfortable with nine, to be honest with you. But we just thought there was a kind of a cutoff point after eight for qual- where, where we were. Um, so uh, th- what I really like about our three tackles is I think, um, I think Colton's had the best camp since he's been here. Um, I think Leatherwood is exactly what we thought he was. And uh, Parker's had his best camp. So he's a true swing tackle, which in this league carries a lot of value. I know you were, you were all over the place in training camp, but you spent a lot of time, it seemed, anyway, with the offensive linemen. Was there something that you were, you know, kind of get a finger on, a handle on? Uh, i tell you what's funny. I mean, this is true. My dad was an offensive line coach uh, at University of Penn when I was a little kid before he became my high school coach. So <laughs> I've always spent a lot of time there. It's, it's kind of interesting. Every college practice I go to, every NFL practice I ever went to, I, I, I gravitated towards O-line, Not partly because of my dad, but more because I think that's kind of the backbone of what you're doing offensively. I think everything grows from the let, – let's put the quarterback on the side for a second. That's a special conversation. But beyond the quarterback, I'm a huge believer that your offensive line kind of drives your entire team and certainly your offense. So, A, I love that anyway. And, B, was I anxious to see how Leatherwood was going to play? Yeah. Um, you know, you trade three guys. A lot of people criticize the moves, you know, and, and Cable, me, and Gruden are probably most energized about watching these young guys compete. And that, that's not when I'm, I'm not electing any of them to, to Canton. I'm just saying we're excited to watch these kids compete. Trey Regis said everybody had so many good things to say about it. You guys got him back. Well, was there, how much concern was there that you'd put him out there and he'd, he'd be picked up or something? Uh, very legitimate concern. Thought he played really well, um, competed really well. Uh, we like him a lot. Uh, wanted to get him back, obviously. Um, one of the things that running back is that there's usually a lot of them out there, you know, and, and so sometimes you, you got to look through, when you look through the cut sheets, there aren't that many guards, tackles out there, you know, but they're, they're the wideouts and running backs are about this long, you know. So you got to sift through a lot. Um, but sure, he put good tape out there. We were worried about it process like going through the waiver wire and trying to sift through it all guys that you might have talked to even in the draft process I would tell you that I think Dwayne Joseph our director of pro did a hell of a job coordinating the whole thing because it is you're sifting through names after so really most of the work gets done in the months before and then we pull in our college scouting staff also to cross check games in the preseason so it's three games this year as opposed to four but our entire pro staff and our entire college staff are either going to games or grinding tape on it and providing cross-checks. So basically, we're walking into uh, the last couple days having every player graded uh, that has been – every drafted and undrafted player that's been in the league the last three years, they're graded. Tr- excuse me, graded. Um, all the older players are in our system. So we, we kind of uh, – I sat down last night with all the scouts kind of late, and we just kind of – we went through the whole list of guys that were available, and we pulled out – a group by position, could they be potential claims, potential practice squad, or guys we want to track through the season, okay? And obviously we didn't claim anybody today, 
Um, but uh, when we, we're probably going to make some IR moves today, and that may open up a, a roster spot or two. Yeah, he's a good player inside out, and we feel like we kind of found him in Canada. You know, and that was another good scouting story. And we found them. We developed them a little bit last year. And uh, we love the kid. Want to keep developing them. I understand what you said about potential, Mike, but not just training camp. Going back to when you hired Gus and Ron, Jonathan Abrams been in the building working hard. Yep. How excited are you to see a, a new Jonathan Abrams this year? Jonathan. Yeah, very excited. I, I, I wa- probably watched every snap he had at Mississippi State his last two years. He was injured at the Senior Bowl. I got to meet him a little bit and get to know him a little bit. And really, the challenge for John is to stay consistent at a high level. Okay, He flashes occasionally, big hits. You see the energy he brings to the field. The key is to do that every snap, 60, 70 snaps a game over 17 weeks and then into the playoffs. And John knows that. I'm not saying anything that, that you know we haven't talked about. And I think that's his challenge is to show everybody that he is that guy for the duration of the season with the practice squad getting increased to 16 players and still being able to have a few veterans on there. How did you approach just building that squad? Yeah, and it's interesting because they did that last year because of COVID. You know, the, the new CBA said 12. They allowed us to go to 16. On top of the practice squad being loosened up, they've also loosened up the injured reserve and, and return to play rules. So they're trying to give you more uh, player and roster flexibility because of the potential of COVID, and they kept those rules in place this year. So you get up to six veterans and four exceptions, and you could have 16 rookies, but you get up to six and four. So the hard part about it is like that old musical chairs game, you know? So um, if you don't make a move quickly, the chairs run out. There's nowhere to sit, you know? And everybody's trying to. So we thought we had a group, good group of young guys. We made uh, offers yesterday when, when, I, when we cut them. To, to a lot of them, um, they've all basically accepted. We knew we were going to have to go outside our group to a few groups, which we have. Um, we've got a full group now, but we've got, uh, and the thing with veterans, as you guys know, is that they're not subject to waivers. So you got to get on the phone with those guys. Most veterans are looking for a 53 spot, you know, not really looking for practice squad, but it's become a little bit more acceptable to the veterans now with, with the rules being six of them and often being an ability to return back to a 53 through, you know, we got a couple guys that, that we're talking to that we're like, hey, get, you know, get in here, show us what you can do. Instead of a one-day tryout, it's a two- or three-week tryout, you know, and you get comfortable with us, we get comfortable with you, and all of a sudden you're on the 53. So that's a generic way to kind of say, I like some veterans out there. We don't have quite as many as I'd like yet, but I think over a period of time you'll see the, the practice squad kind of take on a form and then hopefully be consistent for the last three three quarters or so of the season. Mike, speaking about the practice squad, a guy that you decided to bring back with the linebacker and court kind of being a little thing with injuries, uh, Max Richardson, I yeah. think probably have a lot of the inside ties with his recruiting. Kind of what was your insight on trying to get Max back in the middle? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Max thing is interesting because he's one of the most productive college players that we had in our camp. You know, if you look at the number of tackles and what he did at Boston College, um, people that want to knock him as far as scouting are concerned is, you know, size, lack of length, and overall pure speed. When you put the tape on and you just watch this guy come downhill and hit and run, um, you go, that's a pretty good football player. So 
Uh, I have an affinity for him because I know everybody at Boston College because that's where I went to. Everybody stood on the table literally for this kid, so I wanted to get him here in the first place. Um, and I'm hoping that we can continue to develop him on the practice squad because his, his football IQ is really high. Mike, um, when you look at Cleve Farrell move into the second unit, it looks like um, you can take that one way that he's been demoted, uh, you know, like where he slots on the depth chart. Have you guys talked to him about that? And what, where, you know, what's the thinking behind that? And, and where is he in, in regards to that? I, th- I think the thinking behind all of it, and I'm not necessarily – about Clee is that what Rod wants to get to um, is a fluid wave, a way, and that, you know you look at pick a team Philadelphia a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, they had a wave. They had eight guys that just rolled, and that's what Rod's trying to do. Um, can you guys give me one minute? All right, there it is, Mike Mayock as he wrapped it up with a phone call, which must have been a big one. So there was about eighteen, nineteen minutes of Mike Mayock. Going up and down the roster, Nate Hobbs, what he expects from Alex Leatherwood, uh, the injuries to the linebacker position, a lot to talk about there. Today's Mike Mayock Day, the GM of the team, building this roster with head coach John Gruden. And this is what they're going with, the 53-man roster with some players on IR shortly that will come off shortly, have a position, but in the meantime, room to bring in other players. Coming up next, Joe Lisi from Go For The Two. What a weekend in college football against the spread. Stick around. That's coming up next. A 43-yard try. Camarda to hold. Rodrigo to kick to tie it and extend the game. There's the snap, the hold, the kick is away towards the uprights, and no good! No good! Missed it to the left, and South Carolina has stunned Georgia in Athens in double overtime, 20-17. to 17. Well, college football is here, and we have some of the best guests in all of college football, including my next guest, Joe Lisi, go for the two, his career has exploded. We put him on radio years ago, and instantly I said he's one of the best. Joe, good to have you, my friend. It's been too long. How was your offseason? Uh, well, off season was long, JT, but always always thankful for everything you did for me and just chomping at the bit for the 2021 football season. Well, right up your alley. Georgia-Clemson, line opens up Clemson, minus four. We'll play it at minus three. You know Georgia as good as anybody it's not a make-or-break game when you put it this early on the schedule, but a lot of Georgia fans are saying it is. It's about time that they win a game like this. How do these rosters square up? Yeah, it's an evenly matched roster, but then you have to look at the quarterback position. From a series perspective, Georgia has won six of the last seven JT. Last victory by Clemson came back in 2013. They haven't played every year. But it comes down to DJU or JT Daniels. Which, which quarterback do you believe in more and, you know, even though JT Daniels did it last year, the bullseye wasn't on Georgia's back. DJU, to me, is a more athletic quarterback. He could do a little bit more. And the addition of Justin Ross into that offense, I think it challenges Georgia's secondary. There's some inexperience there. You look at Stokes gone. Richard LeCount is gone. I think that's the difference. I think it'll be a tight ball game. But in the end, I do feel that Clemson does pick up 
a 10-point victory uh, over the Georgia Bulldogs Saturday night. Wow, 10 points. So which team lost more players to the NFL and did a better job at reloading? Both of these head coaches are incredible recruiters. Yeah, yeah, great point, great point. Now, when you look at Georgia's front seven, they allowed 92 rushing yards per game. So they're going to get after DJU in this matchup. But the biggest thing is the inexperience of the secondary. Even though you have, like, say, juniors and seniors, they haven't played as a unit going up against a very lethal offense in terms of Clemson. So there is the ability, especially in a week one matchup, reads, coverages. It's a little bit different in game speed than it is practice preparation. And I do believe that the addition of Justin Ross that was absent from that offense last year does does really stress the Georgia secondary in this ballgame. But, but again, that's why they play the game. So we'll see how it plays out. Joe Lisi, go for the two. Joe what does it mean here for the team that loses this game? You know these schedules inside and out. I would assume Georgia would have the tougher road to get back into the playoffs over Clemson. Is that fair? Well, tougher road, but they have the schedule that lines up, right, mm-hmm. JT? So they're going to play Auburn. They're going to play Florida. So those games will matter. When you look at Clemson, I mean, they don't play Miami this year. A very easy road outside this ball game. And when you look at Clemson overall in terms of dominance within the ACC straight up, since 2014, they are 58-5 and five against ACC opponents and 40-1 and one straight up in Death Valley since 2016. So definitely easier road for Clemson, but Georgia has the type of schedule to get back in this thing. I think the critical aspect of this game is who loses and how do they lose. If it's a blowout loss, I'm not so sure either team could afford that week one. Joe Lisi is our guest. Joe, let's go to Alabama-Miami. Line opened up Alabama minus 17.5, now 19.5, could go to 20. Total on the game, 61.5. How do you say it? Yeah, I lean to De'Ara King now. Alabama hasn't lost a week one matchup since 2001. They've won those 19 games by 25.6 points per game. But you have a new coordinator in Bill O'Brien, new moving parts. I think that's always a concern for a week one matchup. And then look at Alabama's defense last year, J.T. They allowed three opponents to pass for over 300. Kellen Mann and Texas A&M, Matt Corral, and Kyle Trask. They did not cover two of those three games. And on the flip side, you have a Miami offense, six of the 11 games. They passed for over 300. They were 5-1 and one and won those by 22.2 points per game. And we know about the athleticism of an athletic quarterback in De'Ara King. That's the difference. I think they keep it within the number. Alabama wins, but Miami keeps it close on Saturday afternoon. Joe Lisi, go for the two. Also, Sports Grid, MSG Networks. You hear them with me on Sirius XM. And now we roll on to what I think is a big game. I'll be there. I'll be there till the half. It's my wedding anniversary. I want to take my wife to dinner. Will it be a blowout? BYU, Arizona, Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Man, BYU's buying up all the tickets, Joe. It went from 9.5 to a 12.5-point favorite. Yeah, well, I'm going to say this. I think Arizona's a sneaky underdog in this game. I really do. I mean, I think the one thing that you look at is a speed perspective for the Arizona Wildcats, a disappointing late-season loss to Arizona State. You got blown out and embarrassed. You expect their best effort with a new coaching staff, week number one. Love the kid Wiley as well in terms of his athleticism. But then look at the moving parts on BYU. No Zach Wilson. They're a slower type of team and and really struggle with speed type of offenses. So even though BYU might win, I'm going to take the points with Arizona in terms of keeping this game close. 
Joe Lisi joins us. What a heavyweight fight. Penn State, Wisconsin. Love the Wisconsin program and how consistent they are. They open up three-and-a-half-point favorite. Total down to 50. Now, Wisconsin yeah. minus five-and-a-half. I don't know what the weather situation is going to be, what this game looks like here, but why such a low total? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, you have two blue-collar teams. You know, yeah. traditionally they play lower-scoring games, even though they played a high one in the Big Ten Championship back in 2016. But this is one of my best bets. I'm going to surprise some people. I'm very high on Penn State. I picked them over their win total, picked them to make the college football playoff, believe it or not. I think they go into Camp Randall. I think they come out with a victory, an outright victory, as a five-and-a-half-point dog in New Jersey here. I already took them. I'll tell you this. You know, you look at the athleticism from an offensive perspective. Jahad Dotson, you have an experienced quarterback in Sean Clifford. Joey Porter Jr. in that secondary. It comes down to which coach and which team do you believe more into. For me, it's James Franklin. I think he's a better in-game manager than Paul Christ, who makes no halftime adjustments. I think Penn State goes in there. Tough matchup, 110,000. But I think Penn State does come out with the victory on Saturday afternoon outright. Wow, and Joe's giving you that as a special pick. Joe Lisi, as we wrap it up, Oregon uh, opens up minus 20 and a half. We'll play it there. Fresno State, which could be explosive at times. I don't know what we're going to see with Oregon early. That's what always concerns me, Joe, over the years talking to you. Oregon needs some time, and then once they get that rhythm offense going, they become more and more explosive. Is That's a big number for Oregon to cover over Fresno State. How do you have it? Yeah, it's a couple of factors. Fresno with a dominating 45 to nothing win over yes. UConn. They got the cover. And then the potential look-ahead, JT, for Oregon not showing a lot when they go on the road week two against Ohio State. I never like playing those type of games because is there a potential look-ahead, even though it's a week one matchup? We know about Thibodeau. We know about the front seven. And they want to run the football with Verdell and Die. But do you believe in Anthony Brown enough? That's the other question mark. I don't know if I believe in Anthony Brown enough to cover this number week one. I think they save it for week two. I think Oregon wins. I would play Fresno State. Don't love the game, though, because of the potential look ahead in in Columbus with Ohio State uh, September 12th. Joe, finally, Ed Orgeron said all the players have been able to connect with their families. They're safe. How big of a distraction for LSU? Big game against UCLA. We saw Chip Kelly out of the gate here. Wow, has UCLA had this game circled for quite some time. What a coaching matchup here. I wonder what's in the minds of all these LSU players. Yeah, great point. Now, let's remember, 2005, Katrina, LSU opened on the road in Arizona State. Close victory, same type of situation, right, with Katrina. So keep an eye out for that. I think LSU for the most part, comes to play. I mean, the fact that they're in, in Houston, I love the athleticism. Another team I bought into to make the college football playoff, Max Johnson over Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He needs to do more. He was only 50% completion mm. percentage against Hawaii. They're going to stress him and force him to beat him over the top. I don't know if I buy into that. Physicality for the front seven, I give to LSU. The biggest thing, JT, they didn't run the football in the five losses. They get back to basics. I think Ed O rallies this team, and I think they dominate. The fact that it's under three here in New Jersey, I think LSU wins this ball game convincingly. Convincingly over LSU. We got no, Joe no, Lisi. LSU wins it. LSU uh, yeah, wins yeah. it. Got it. So LSU wins this game outright over UCLA. Great insight from Joe Lisi. We'll have them all year. Joe, tell everybody where they can find your information. 
Yeah, well, I'm on uh, GoForTheJew.com, and I'm on Sirius uh, Channel 204 every day from 12 to 2, and then College Football Today uh, every Saturday, 9 to 12 on Sports Grid. That's Eastern Time, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. We get you ready for kick. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Joe Lacy. Wow, he's good. Every game I just threw at him. Threw at him with the point spread, and he gave you the winners there. He likes LSU outright over UCLA, loves them in that game, and... How about Penn State over Wisconsin and what he has Penn State doing this year? Incredible. And he has Clemson by 10 over Georgia. Okay. Hope my buddy Todd didn't hear that and all the Bulldog fans out there. That would not make him feel good. Live from the Raiders facility, Cam Newton was the biggest story of the week. Nothing close and it's still developing. Greg Bedard from the Sports Journal in Boston A beat writer for the Patriots on the quarterback change next. I don't take it personal. I just just want you guys to understand, like, everything y'all know, I know. There's no hidden motives or things like that, I do know those things like that, I can't worry about. Because each and every day, I don't necessarily care about who's starting. I mostly care about you know, making sure that I put the best product out there for me. And I know Mac is feeling the same way. I know Brian is feeling the same way and everybody else going down each and every position. So, you know, as far as week one, we got so much to, to worry about prior to week one. And, and that's, that's what my focus is right now. What a story this week. Shocking to most. Cam Newton gone from the Patriots. JT back with you from the Raiders facility. Longtime Patriot insider. One of the best from BostonSportsJournal.com. Good friend of the show, Greg Bedard. Greg, thanks a lot for coming in. I know you've had a busy week with this story. I'll jump right in. Why cut Cam and not make him the backup? It's a great question. Um, I don't really know the answer, JT, because I, I think that out of the three quarterbacks that the Patriots had working in camp, Cam Newton had earned the right to be on this team. Um, and, and as far as I know, this is not a situation where Bill Belichick went to Cam Newton and said, look, we've talked it over. We're going with the kid. Uh, we'd like you to be the backup if you're open to that. And Cam says, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, from what I understand, he was not given that option. Um, I, I I don't understand it. The only thing I can I can think of is a couple different things. Uh, you know, number one is possible the COVID, you know, vaccination. Just like you know, if, why even take a chance on him uh, being unreliable again? Uh, I do think that I do think that the bigger issue, and I'm not a big believer in sort of. Cam's presence and he could be a dividing influence. I don't, I don't see that happening at all. Not the way that Cam has been the whole time here. I think that, uh, I think that he's been a really good teammate and uh, has been really supportive. And I think in, and the, the players in the locker room know the deal. There is no split locker room. They all, I think they all thought that they could win games with both quarterbacks. I think that most of the locker room thought that Mac had won the job on the field. Um, but they that they could win games with Cam and have competed with him. Um, I, I think that it was it was more a a deal with look schematically the way Mac, Brian Hoyer, 
Jarrett Stidham if he comes off pup in the middle of the season. Any other quarterback probably that we would bring in. They are more schematically aligned with uh, with what's going on with uh, with Mac than with Cam. And so I just think it. I think it just made a clean a clean break that it, it just it was better for everybody that that Cam wasn't going to be there looking over his shoulder, even though I don't think that was a big issue and didn't have to worry about drastically changing the play call should he be forced into a game at any point. Yeah, Greg Bedard joins us. I think that's a really good analysis on your part, the clean break, because, again, I think Cam's a, a great leader. He's proven himself as a former MVP, led a team to a Super Bowl, but I don't think you want him around. I don't think you want him sitting in the locker room if Mac has a bad game, and then all of a sudden everybody's looking at Cam, and then you add the COVID issue on there, and Cam might be gone because of a COVID protocol mistake again, then it becomes a potential powder keg, a big problem for Belichick, who doesn't like any problems at all. Yeah, no yeah, no question. And, um, you know, I don't really know the, the vaccination status of, you know, Hoyer. There have been some rumors about that, but I haven't seen him on with a mask as much as, uh, Cam Newton has, and, and um, you know, look, I just think it's a situation where the Patriots just looked at it and said, if, you know, I, I think they, JT, I think really this was about burning the boats. Like, they're going with Mac Jones. He's their future. He's now their present. Mm-hmm. They're burning the boats. They're not looking back. They're going forward. The kids got the keys. Um, they, they, no one should have any questions about that, and let's move forward. Greg Bedard is our guest. Great job covering the Patriots, all of Boston sports. BostonSportsJournal.com is where you can find him. The other thing I think that could be a big mistake with the Patriots here is I thought Cam would get him off to a cleaner start with the Dolphins at the Jets, the Saints at home, and then the looming game against the Buccaneers. I've been saying on my radio shows, Greg, the whole time, the perfect opportunity to thank Cam for being a great player, a good teammate, being there, the guy who took over as Brady left. Give them the Buccaneer game. That's the biggest game a player has ever played ever coming back to Gillette Stadium and Tom Brady. Give Cam that game to see if he can win it. And then right after that, it's at the Texans, and then Mac Jones can go there. I thought at least that Belichick would give him the start of a manageable schedule where if Cam opened up 2-0 and or 2-1 and heading into the Brady game, you could hook him right after that. Did you ever think about it that way when you looked at the schedule? Mm, slightly JT, but then, then you get into, all right, week nine, they're going to Carolina. Well, you're not going to have Cam Newton start that game at the Panthers. I mean, that would be totally the, you know, the kiss off for Cam Newton. I just think it's, look, I saw every single practice, all the joint practices, every single game. Um, you know, I, in my draft analysis, I thought that Mac Jones was, I, uh, Mm -hmm. I wrote a column saying the hype was real that I thought you know, he was a guy that the Patriots should should try to go after. First day of mini camp, I thought I wrote a column saying it was going to be sooner rather than later. First day of training camp, uh, there were a couple of reactions from the veterans where you just like I, – I think I – and I said this too. I turned to Chris Gasper, the first training camp practice, and I said, it's over. He's winning the job. And that just continued all summer. Mac Jones clearly won the job. He, he, he outperformed Cam in every facet. Did Cam have a couple of better days? Yeah. But for the balance, uh, Mac Jones was clearly better. Uh, I think that the floor of the offense is higher with him. The ceiling is certainly higher. 
And I think he he just he has proven all summer that the more they give him, the better he's going to be. And I I don't have I don't have any concerns with a normal rookie quarterback. I think this guy is really abnormal, JT. I mean, I've wow. seen a lot of rookie quarterbacks. I've seen some bad ones. I saw Aaron Rodgers get in, you know, take over Favre that his shaky first season, first actually season and a half. Uh, when I covered the Dolphins, I saw, saw a lot of shaky young quarterbacks. Um, this guy is different. He just he, he is he, and he's just so smart uh, that I think you combine that with the the offensive line, the running game, the play action game, how Josh McDaniels is going to keep everything in his wheelhouse. And plus the defense that the Patriots have, I think this is the perfect situation for a rookie quarterback to come in and be successful. And I think he's going to hit the ground running. You don't have to protect him. You don't have to worry about Brady in week four coming in here. Mm -hmm. I think this kid can handle everything. And I think that Belichick decided to burn all the boats and just go forward with the kid. I think that that reinforces that point. Greg Bedard, follow him at Greg A. B-E-D-A-R-D, a tremendous follow if you're covering Boston sports or the NFL nationally. So let's stay with that because I know you for a while and you got really good opinions and deep sources. So let's talk more about Mac Jones and what you saw that makes him so impressive because the decisions to get the ball out, looking at what the Patriots have or don't have when it comes to wide receivers or players who can make plays compared to other teams, especially in the AFC. What do you think the offense is going to look like with Josh McDaniel, is it going to be limited? Can he make all the deep throws? His strength's going to be the ball's going to come out quickly, kind of like Brady. It comes out quickly to the open guy. He's not going to take a lot of chances thrown into coverage. Yeah, I think, you know, they'll take their share of deep shots. But the, mm. the thing that I see, JT, is, um, you know, and a couple reasons, and, and I'm one of these guys who studies the film a lot. And, and you know, I studied Brady for the bulk of his career. I got to watch him on film every single week. And, you know, and Rodgers before him and, and, you know, watching the Patriots offense last year, and I was in favor of them. I wrote up, they should go after Cam Newton even before they signed here. And I was very patient with him all year. I understood the situation. I understood COVID, all that stuff. But finally, I think it was the Texans game last year where I was just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done because he hadn't improved at all. He hadn't. He hadn't progressed in the Patriots' offense, and there's certain things that you need to be able to do to make this offense work. I mean, you know, you have to be able to to, to break the huddle and look at the defense and have a pretty good idea what's going on. You have to you have to make the right checks to get them in and out of bad runs and bad plays. And and Cam Newton was never going to do that. He got a little bit better at that this mm-hmm. year, but Mac Jones was far better than him, and he's only going to get better. I think the big thing with him is with Mac is that the, the timing of the offense is correct. Cam was always late with everything. He was late with it this year to even in camp. Some of his, some of his throws, you're like, Oh, right, that was a nice throw. It's still too, it's still too slow for this offense. So Mac's going to, Mac's going to execute this offense as it's designed. Josh McDaniels has a lot of confidence in his offense. And I think the big thing where he excels, where he's, been far better than I thought because we all saw the same college film where he's throwing to these guys at Alabama. Most of them are wide open. They're all uber talented. They're probably all better than what they have at the Patriots. But the thing this summer, and this continued the whole summer, was how accurate he was. And it's not just accuracy. It's ball placement, throwing guys, you know, throwing the ball on their back shoulder, leading them away from contact, you know, knowing when to hum it in there to, to, uh, 
to arrive in front of the safety. This kid has an uncanny ability to do that, which is unusual for a rookie quarterback. And and I think, you know, I think Zach Wilson is really the only rookie that I've seen this year that that does those same sort of things. And I think, you know, him in this offense, you know, do I think they're going to be a juggernaut? You know, no. I mean, but he can make all the throws, and they'll have dialed up deep passes. And but you're right, the timing, the the width. The, the, all that stuff with this passing offense, Mac can Mac's either there right now or he can get there by midseason. Greg Bedard, as we wrap it up, Greg, I, I'm just still fascinated with Cam. With all the players you covered, what will you remember most from him? Because he could dress uniquely. I don't make fun of guys' music and their dress. Like they're, if they're listening and they're dancing and they're dressing uniquely, everybody can see that. He didn't live there. I think he commuted there. He was unbelievable in college. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, no debate in my mind, picked him to lead the Patriots after Brady. What are we going to remember most about Cam Newton's run in New England? I just think that, in my opinion, JT, from, you know, I've covered him, you know, as a national reporter before this, but seeing him up close every day, um, I was really impressed with the teammate that Cam Newton was. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason why he didn't get many opportunities last year. Um, he didn't get, you know, really any opportunities this year, but I think now I think that his year and a half, what have you in New England and how he conducted himself and how Belichick has spoken about him, how his teammates have spoken about him. And, and really, you know, you ask anybody around there and they just, they rave about the guy, you know, first guy into the building, you know, last guy to leave, um, you know, great teammate. I, I think that he really – I'm hoping he gets another chance um, someplace, uh, you know, that's a little bit more conducive to his strengths um, because I do think that he has set himself up to have a final act of his career where before this a lot of people questioned whether, um, you know, the the persona of Cam Newton or what they, they thought about Cam Newton – it, you know, it, it didn't match to the to, to the reality of who Cam Newton is. And I think he's really – he's given himself to have a really good final act, and I think he deserves that. I just – he needs to go to a place that, that fits his style of play a little bit better. Thanks, Greg. Tremendous analysis. I retweeted the podcast you did on this, and everybody can find your column on your pinned tweet, and thanks for doing this. This is a really important story. Happy we can connect with you. Anytime. Thanks, JT. Thanks, Greg. How about that? One insight on Cam Newton. Probably the deepest dive you'll hear on Cam Newton, and he was a great teammate. And there's nothing he should be ashamed of. He was cut. This is the business of the NFL. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's what Mike Mayock said today, you know, as we've carried his press conference Mike talked about all these guys. Their lives change. If you make the practice squad, it's not the end of the world. If you get cut, you might land with another team. Cam Newton's got a proud legacy. Is he a Hall of Famer? No, but he was on the path to be a Hall of Famer. He really was. If you take a look at his stats, his rushing stats, the big games that he played in, some of his early numbers, his MVP year, yeah, he was building towards that. But the injuries, one of the things I like about Cam is what I love about Favre, Allen Iverson, Pete Rose, Pete Rose, a common guest on this show. I like guys who play hurt and they play through pain and they put their body on the line for us. So we're entertained. I don't know how anybody can criticize Cam Newton. I criticize his throwing motion, 
But I know it's because he's been beat up physically. His body took a beating because he played too much violent football, dating back to high school, to the University of Florida, to transferring to Auburn, to winning the Heisman Trophy. Do you remember a better quarterback than Cam Newton in college? I think Tim Tebow was, but Cam was more athletic. Tebow won two national championships and a Heisman Trophy. Those are great players, man, overlapping each other's careers. Don't know where Cam's going to end up. I don't think he's going to go anywhere until he gets vaccinated, and he might not want to get vaccinated. Q's coming up next here from the facility. He was at the press conference, asked a few questions. To Mike Mayock, I'm sure he's going to have a lot for you. Vinny Bonsignor, who's been pounding out the content. How cool is this? Raider Nation Radio. Last year, we had no fans in the building. Now everybody goes in for Monday Night Football. Thanks to the Las Vegas Raiders for having me in studio. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be here. JT, we're back tomorrow for a big show and some big announcements right here on the flagship. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.